0: Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. You're listening to Career Crossroads, and if you're new here, welcome. If you're not new, welcome back. I'm Jonathan Colleton, and this is the podcast where I talk to one person each week about all the decisions that led them to their current career path. Today, I'm talking to Josh Zettel about how he chose to take time off early in his career to recover from burnout and figure out what he should do next. Josh walks me through the decision-making process that led him to a master's degree and tells me about how what he learned has allowed him to do his day job from 9 to 5 and work on his second related interest in the evening. So enjoy the interview and stick around afterwards to hear what I think we can learn from Josh. Josh, welcome to Career Crossroads on this lovely Friday morning. Thanks for joining me today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. Looking forward to the conversation.
0: Well, I'm glad that you also had today off and we could make a weekday recording work because that's always easier for my workflow when I can get something in during an unusual time frame. And I think the reason why you have today off is something that will come up later in the conversation when we talk about what you're doing now because it's similar to why I have today off. But I first want to talk about how we know each other. So normally... Sometimes I always say I want to talk about how I know my guest, but then I usually just ramble on and talk about it instead of letting my guest talk about it. So I want to hear your first memory or like what you remember about how we met.
1: Great question. Uh, orientation week first year at uh, Sir Wilfrid Laurier University. You were uh, my 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 O-week leader for we were the red group, I can't remember what name
0: or whatever red kind of, vampires i think red that was vampire. yeah <laughs> that's
1: why i didn't remember it i didn't like it that much <laughs> um yeah, yeah so kind of like first image is like really colorful lots of red on you lots of energy uh lots of excitement lots of new um yeah you're kind of like like one of my welcoming hosts to uh getting to laurier and and especially i was living in residence for my first year kind of being ingrained in a bit of a new community.
0: Yeah, definitely. And then over the years, we ended up playing ball hockey together, which makes you, I think, now you're the second person uh, who I've interviewed who was part of that ball hockey team. Today, though, we're not here to talk about ball hockey. We're here to talk about your career path. And I always like to start by talking about where my guests were kind of in high school, where they grew up, what they were like around the age of 16 or so. So tell me all about your life at that point in time.
1: Yeah. So that would be uh, high school, kind of like grade 10, grade 11 here in Canada. I was, I think I was finally feeling kind of seen and and finally really feeling like I belonged uh, to, to a larger community. I was really involved in lots of sports. Um, I had a little bit of a uh, acknowledgement for some of my leadership qualities. I was a uh, captain of the football team, which was really exciting. I kind of worked really hard to earn that um, school was. I was really fortunate. School has been kind of one of those easier things for me that didn't necessarily take like a lot of effort. A lot of things kind of came naturally to me in school. Um, so I was able to kind of like do well and and do to a certain level, but not kind of like 98, 99. I wasn't kind of stressing about that level of grades. I was really kind of focused on the social experience and developing friendships, uh, trying out new things, exploring new activities. Yeah. And and that was a, a bit of a contrast for me and kind of a shift from... Um, not not to dig too much into elementary school, but um, I had a couple of kind of social struggles um, as a young kid. And and we'll kind of talk about how that plays into my career as we kind of walk through. I'll probably refer back to it. But but in high school, I really felt like I kind of opened the doors and and really had a chance to to be me and, and kind of be seen and appreciated for who I am.
0: Okay, perfect. And did you grow up in Kitchener, Ontario? Yeah. Okay. So geographically, that's like a an hour west of Toronto, just in case anyone's not familiar, but I have interviewed a number of people who live or are from that area. And something I've also come to realize doing this podcast is that Canadians describe distances based on the amount of time it takes to drive there, whereas Americans describe it via distance. So I don't know how many miles it is, but it's like 100, 120 kilometers for any of our American friends listening today, which takes about an hour. So there you go. So as you got towards the latter part of high school, many of us either get nudged in a certain direction by our parents or there's something that we're super interested in that we've either we've been interested in for a long time or some totally different path where, you know, you as a as a student is really trying to figure out what you want to do in the future and you don't have any external influences. So what was your circumstance as you were approaching the end of high school?
1: Yeah, great question. Um, I was really, really lucky to have uh, parents that very much uh, supported my own reflection and, and really supported my autonomy and kind of making choices for myself. And, and kind of the, I think the priority or the goal or the guidance I was kind of given, and it kind of comes from my grandpa too on my mom's side. Um, and, it's, and it's find work that you really enjoy. So that when you wake up and you kind of go to work every day, you're not dragging your feet, you're going to do a good job. Um, maybe put forth a little bit of extra effort because you're enjoying it. There's kind of a a saying in my, fa- in my family and kind of forgive my language here, but it, if, if you're happy shoveling shit, then shovel shit, which is kind of like thinking back to like working in a circus. Like that's probably the job that somebody doesn't want to do, but if it makes you happy, like do it. Um, so that was kind of the, the parental kind of like cultural atmosphere around career for me is, is kind of a, a larger picture. But, Thinking a little bit more, kind of concretely. Um, so, so, my dad is at the time he was a pipe fitter. Now he's a welder, very much a, a tradesman. And just about every one of the male examples in my life were tradespeople. So very much blue collar roots, um, very much kind of tangible, working with your hands, those kind of things. But for me, that wasn't really my interest. That really didn't hit home for me, and it didn't feel like me at all. So I was much more interested in those kind of social connections in trying to understand, uh, me, how I function, how other people function and how we can kind of all work together to maybe accomplish something. So I I had a bit of a different interest and, and passion and even just perspective at looking at how like kind of life happens and how life functions around me. So, so at that time, and it was, it was a little bit of, okay, do I go into a trades or do I go directly into work or do I go into an undergrad? And undergrad at that time was kind of like an essential thing. It was like, that was the obvious step that you take to kind of do it. And this is kind of before um, and and maybe just getting into the time where kind of universities were getting challenged a little bit. Like what's, what's the value of a degree? How does that really translate into a career? And that's something I, I speak to often now and we'll kind of get there. But I think I had a, a good perspective in that I wanted to be aware of what's going on in society and and how I can apply my skills and who I am. So it's a little bit of, I didn't know. And I was kind of okay with that. Um, so for me, it was like, okay, I, I definitely want to take a more intellectual route. I definitely want to maybe do something in an office or something. So I went to kind of school and I, and I studied psychology.
0: What was it about psychology that... Interested you when you were first applying to schools? Because a lot of people I've spoken to, they seem to, some of them don't even remember what initial program they applied for. And they just went to university because that was the obvious path. And you kind of indicated that it was in some ways the obvious path. So, like, why psychology? Was there a particular career that you were interested in getting after that degree? Or did you just think that was one of those really valuable degrees that would give you a skill set that would be widely applicable? A bunch of those things um, and a couple others, too.
1: I think for me, and it's <laughs> it's tough to separate out what was I aware of at that time. And, and looking back now, I'm able to kind of right. connect some right. dots, too, right? So I, I think for me, it was just a very obvious no duh. Like it was just so much who I was and kind of tracing back some of those kind of connections as a kid, I was a very emotional kid. I was very sensitive. So my experience was having all of this energy that I didn't know how to direct somewhere. And it came out in like crying or frustration. And it's like, how do I channel this? How do I work with this? How do I, like, how do I live with all of this kind of emotion and all these feelings and stuff? Mm-hmm. So I think that became a bit of almost like a defensive system or defensive kind of like, if I'm going to live on this world, I got to figure out how to, how to do this stuff. And I got to figure out how to work with these things. And and what I noticed over time is as I battled with them and, and kind of overcame some of those difficulties, there was also this kind of switch that happened like, well, everybody's got their own things going on too. So it's a, it's a universal challenge. It's a universal battle that each person is going through. And I think I've just. It's brought me so much growth, kind of investigating psychology, that it's the, the more I dug into it, the hungrier it kind of got for it. Um, okay. So psychology was just the obvious choice because it was the only thing that even kind of resembled some of those discussions, some of those topics.
0: Gotcha. Now, why did you pick Wilfrid Laurier? Because on the one hand, it's close to home, but then you also lived in residence. So it's not like you were pining to stay at home, at least not right away, it seems like.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah, there's lots of different
1: factors to think about when you're choosing higher education. For for me, I really wanted a strong social experience. Yes, I, I wanted a, a good academic experience, but I'm I'm like for me, those are the things that fill my cup is having a really strong connection with somebody, um working together, working hard on something and accomplishing something and kind of growing and, and evolving. So yeah, yeah, I don't know if it was anything beyond that. I think the other piece too is maybe economical, like a little bit financial too. I, I had to pay for, uh, not all of my undergrad anyways, uh, which I'm super grateful. I had some parents to help out a little bit, but I did pay for, for at least half of it. So being close to home was going to save on costs in year two, three, four. Gotcha. I definitely wanted to submerse myself in the culture. I wanted to make new friends. I wanted to really kind of and I think there's also maturing, like you want to kind
0: of move away from home. You don't necessarily yeah. want to
1: be in your parents' house and stuff. So th- those are a couple a couple of the pieces for me.
0: Okay. How was that experience at Laurier? I mean, from, from the time we interacted, it felt like you were having a good time and it felt like you were probably... And this is also because of my own experience at Laurier, where I went for a lot of the same reasons you did. I wanted that social experience and I definitely had it and I, I got exactly what I wanted out of that experience. So what was it like for you? Did you get the social side of things you were looking for? And then academically, how did that pan out? Were you really happy with the way your education trained you and, and with what you got out of it? Yeah, I think I was pretty happy with my
1: education. Um and my experience with it. That that first year, um, I, I kind of joke sometimes it was kind of like my year off life. Like I I really, <laughs> academically, it probably wasn't my best year, um, but, I, but I really did enjoy it. I, I made some great connections and, and some lasting friendships as well too, which, which I wouldn't trade for the world. But it was also a really good opportunity to kind of become fully self-sufficient. Like I, I have to manage all of my own stuff too. So I, I think that was kind of a challenge I appreciated. And and, and definitely improved improved upon. I graduated with honor, so I was able to kind of turn it around and make things kind of work. Um, academically, I loved my psychology courses so much that I was pretty well done my degree in like halfway through my third year. So I kind of saw that coming in second year and I was like, you know what? I can probably fit another major in here. And I'm looking at the electives and I'm like, well, I, like I'm going to follow my interest. I want to study things that I'm interested in. Um, cause there's kind of like a universal value to an undergrad and I've already got the psychology piece, which is kind of my primary one, but I'm like, you know what, if I can add something to the bag, I may as well kind of add something to the bag. And I, ca- I kind of make the joke. I've, I've never had a D in any course in my entire life until first year university. And then I decided to major in it kind of for <laughs> my second major. So it was philosophy. I had a horrible mark in philosophy in my first year and it was my own fault. Didn't put the enough effort into it. So I take full accountability for that but I majored in it cuz I saw so many other courses that I loved and appreciated. So I got some really interesting science about how the brain works, about I guess psychology in general, but then I also had a chance to really work on the thinking aspect, the theoretical approach to how do you think about things? What's logic? How do you like look at a variety of different theories and the arguments and stuff they make and how do you dissect it and play with it. So I think there it was. It was good that I followed my interests because they ended up being kind of complementary, and and I had some really. I, I think there's actually some interesting concepts and ideas that were kind of sparked in in some of those philosophy classes that are very much still with me today, and and I'm kind of applying and and moving forward in in some of the work I'm hoping to do in the future too.
0: Okay, so as you went on, obviously your grades went up at least to the point where you could get that honors at the end. Uh, funny enough, I had a very similar experience to that. So then as you're approaching the latter part of university, how do you decide what to do next? Because there there's the one path where you can take the degree you have and go and try and get a job with that degree. Or as I saw a lot of people doing at that point in time was, I'm just going to take some time off and travel or. The other option that a lot of people started doing was just go straight into a grad program because they were, and some of them knew exactly what they were doing, but I also know that there were people that went to grad school right away because they didn't know what else to do. And it was sort of, well, further education won't hurt me and I don't know what I want to do yet. So this gives me an extra year to kind of figure it out and I'll be more qualified on the other end. So was your path one of those three or something totally different?
1: I don't think I fully knew. Uh, uh, yeah, I think I was still in the exploring phase. I wasn't quite sure how what I learned was going to apply in the real world. And, and, and I think that's yeah. a pretty common experience is, is how do I connect my education to applying it and, and what does it look like in the real world? And like on the other side of the fence, kind of gotten to where I am, I, I kind of see those pieces, but it, it would be nice to have a, our system kind of foster that a little bit more and help with those connections. Yeah.
0: And it probably doesn't help that, like philosophy is one of those degrees where I think a lot of people are like, what do you do with a general, like a, I, not a general, you know, you got an honors degree, but people call those like general type arts degrees, right? Communications, philosophy. I have a history degree, so I get it. And people said the same thing about mine. And mm-hmm. you've got to kind of, it's harder, It's it's not the same direct route as say the people who are in business or like really what I noticed a lot of people doing at that point in time was the emergence of the STEM fields and how there was so clearly a path to a job in, in those fields Uh and a little harder to do with specific types of arts degrees. And I, your degree sounds like one of those where it's a little more difficult. Like, what do you do with that? So yeah. Did you have a particular thing in mind, like a, a job that you thought was, this is what I'm going to do. Or you just like totally lost?
1: There were a couple things I was definitely thinking about. So at the root of it all was I knew I wanted to connect with people and I wanted to help them. Okay. So what that looked like, I wasn't quite sure, but that's what I was looking for. So that there's a couple of different things I was thinking about, um, but I definitely had the intention of I'm going to get some experience. I, I know I want to get into the workforce. So I got to try some things out. And, and I financially just didn't have the money to invest in a master's either at that point either. I had debt and stuff I wanted to take care of and kind of work off. So it was social work was something I knew kind of working in the community, working in nonprofits. Um, I knew that that was definitely an option. Um, I was thinking a little bit about kind of like becoming a clinical psychologist. So working with mental health disorders, diagnosing them, um, things like that. But, but those were probably, that's probably how limited my understanding was. Like those kind of, I think seemed like two of the big divides. There might've been a couple that were in there as well. Um, but yeah, I think those are those are the big pieces. So I, it's a little bit vague because I didn't have to think about it for too long. Um, I was fortunate enough that I was able to about half a month, a month after graduation, work at a homeless shelter part time. So it wasn't full time. Um, it did eventually become full time after about a month. Um, but it, it wasn't something that was overly stressful, and and I'm super grateful for the network my parents have and uh, and their. Relationships being willing to kind of support me and help me kind of further my development and stuff too, but yeah, I was kind of picked up in a time where there was a transition going on in the ho- in the homeless shelter there, and
0: yeah, started part time with them. Was it just a job that you were doing for now, or did you feel like there was an opportunity to turn that into more of a career?
1: Yeah this this job was a, a battle for me, um, because it it checked off so many of my boxes. But there was a couple boxes that were kind of introduced to me through the experience that kind of took away from it a little bit. And as a formative experience, like it was incredibly helpful for understanding me and how I relate to people from diverse kind of groups as well. So for me, it it provided lots of opportunity to connect. I had lots of uh, connections with different uh, people staying in the shelter, just people in the community as well, too, my coworkers and. To this day, some of the most fantastic people I've ever met came, came from my experiences with House of Friendship. And those are really big pieces for me, like work environment and enjoying who I work with and, and the culture that I work within was fantastic. And, and I also had an incredible supervisor who really kind of gave me the autonomy to build and grow my role, especially. So when I moved kind of into full-time, I was, uh, so so when you're full-time, you're just maintaining the hostel. That's a big piece of it. But we also kind of each had like specific tangent things that were uh, associated with improving programming and, and helping the the kind of hostel be its best. So my role was I was the drop-in facilitator, which meant that I would host and facilitate and organize and plan events for the community at the shelter. So people living there and, and just in general, other people in the community too. So that was, I had a really awesome chance to kind of bring in a variety of different experiences for these guys too, and, and, and this kind of ties into the future what we'll get into too but a couple of the things i had chance to do were kind of like sports related so i did like a ping pong tournament and like there's a lot of competition and at times that can be kind of uh bring up testosterone and feel a little bit aggressive and stuff but also being able to foster a culture of camaraderie and respect and normalizing kind of the difficulties of like not winning and trying your best and stuff and So it's really interesting to bring some of those elements that I loved and were really important for my kind of upbringing and things that I really appreciated, brought them into the community and really tried to harness the value of them for them.
0: Okay. Now, before something you said, I can't remember the specific wording, but maybe when you said things that got added to your role and maybe I'm way off here, but I got the sense there were parts of it that you actually didn't enjoy. Maybe that got added to your role. Am I off base there?
1: Yeah. I'd say you're off base on there on that one. Um, it's, there was, <laughs> there wasn't a lot of things added on top of it because it was so much just to maintain it. So we had to like maintain snack schedules, like people had to eat. So we'd have to help. Like there's a process for getting people down to the kitchen. We do intakes. So people kind of uh, needing a place to stay. Uh, and then there's even like all the support. So we're just at the front desk and people ask, well, how do I do this? Well, I'm looking for funding for this. How do I do this? So, like just in general, the role itself was really, really busy, and then we kind of had a chance to to do some things on the side that were uh, an added benefit to just maintaining kind of the function of the hostel.
0: Okay, so how long were you there before you left?
1: I think it was about fourteen months, just over a year, and and I I really got burnt out. So I, I think that's kind of that. Some of the check boxes that were really tough for me is um, it, it was really draining. So like. That was one of my first kind of lessons in compassion fatigue, and, and being able to kind of protect yourself as well. Like you've only got so many resources, and not kind of um, so protecting your end of things. And I think the other piece too was uh, like the financial compensation too. With the credentials I had, um, and and what I understood at the time about social work, it wasn't something that I felt in the long term was going to kind of compensate me financially for the kind of impact I'd like to have. And and I think to Working within the system, you start to see some of the limits and barriers of how much you can help people too. There are certain systemic barriers and and issues that uh, I, I know we're working on as a society, but those pieces really encouraged me to look at other options about how I can have maybe a larger impact on people, maybe with a different vehicle, with a different mode. So I think that was the really big takeaway was I loved it. I got some really great experience, learned a lot about people. But it wasn't the method of which I wanted to support people's growth and support people's improving their quality of
0: life. Is that one of those things where you only learned that it as you did it that it was not the way you wanted to do things? It, like you didn't know exactly what you wanted, but you were sort of like checking things off a list by trying them and realizing like I enjoy this, but this isn't the long term future.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think that's part of it. But I think the other piece of it too, is being dedicated to honing a certain kind of craft. So when I say craft, I kind of, I like to get kind of like really old school before like internet, before like industrial revolution, like back in the day when people had roles in society, it was, you got really good at one or two things and you'd offer those services. So there's somebody who was amazing at making furniture and that's what you'd go to them for. And what kind of happened was then that would be passed down and like family and stuff and and those pieces. So I really thought, well, what's the craft I want to dedicate my life to? What is the thing I want to get really, really, really good at? So people will kind of pay me for it, but also I I find it's worthwhile and has a good role in society. And for me, it's connecting with people and having really honest, genuine conversations Because those connection pieces are just so fundamental to people's well-being. Um, And then trying to be productive too. So what's the kind of goal? What's the purpose? I think that was the question I was still trying to figure out. But I definitely knew that the mode of change I wanted to be involved in was connecting with people and understanding people.
0: Okay. And you needed something that provided sort of a more long-term growth and compensation than house of friendship. So what kind of things were you looking at?
1: Oh, I had a couple of years here where I just kind of floated. Um, I don't think I knew, I I think I had a several preconceived notions that I I think were came from kind of just experiences with what people believe socially at the time too. But I didn't really, I wasn't really considering a master's at that point. Um, I, I think it was one of those things that I knew I didn't want to get a PhD. So I didn't really see the value or understand what like a master's would do for me. And, and I thought they were all research-based. So I was like, well, I don't really want to do research at least at, least at the time I didn't. So, so the, like school wasn't really a pathway that I was really super interested in. Um, I think, uh, t- a year or so after two years after I, I left, uh, house of friendship, I had a conversation with my grandpa and we were comparing notes about like jobs he had throughout his life and jobs I had throughout my life. And my total was already past his total uh, at the age of kind of like 26, 27. And I've had more jobs in my life than my grandpa did his entire life, which is, which uh, says something about how, how much it's kind of shifted and changed um, just the economy and and the world of work. But I really explored, I I did some construction stuff. Um, I had a bunch of like service jobs,
0: um, did you leave house of friendship without having the next thing lined up like you just thought this isn't this isn't what I'm going to do so I should move on from this but you just were looking for just jobs to make money in the meantime while you figured out what you did want to do?
1: I think the decision I made was I need a break to figure it out.
0: Okay. Cuz you did say you were burnt out, so that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I think I think I needed to kind of refresh and and re kind of take a bit of a step back. So that, okay, that, that helps me kind of conceptualize. So, so I think what happened was I I just started taking jobs for the sake of income and like, I I needed something at the time and and I had a couple kind of things going on, but my goal and my plan at that point was I was going to move out West and take a little time, just kind of traveling, enjoying kind of doing that and doing a little bit of like a soul searching. So one, like being alone and kind of outside of your your hometown can kind of force you to take a look at yourself and, and, and some big picture things too. So I think that was kind of my intention is I'm going to take a break and I'm going to try and go figure it out. And I think I was focused as well on just enjoying my youth. Like, like I think sometimes there's such a rush to get to something mm-hmm. where, where I'm grateful. I took the time to really enjoy the process. And I really did enjoy the, the time I had with my friends, with my family, um, had some pretty um, fun like trips and events and stuff that I attended. So um, c- career wise, it seemed like I was definitely uh Uh, looking for myself and trying to figure it out but but i i think i definitely felt happy in in who i was and and where and the stage i was at in that whole exploration too
0: okay how long did this kind of exploratory phase take
1: Uh, about two well the first year was house of friendship and then it was uh about two three years after so i think it took me about a year and a half two years before i moved out to lake louise so that's where i ended up kind of out west i was working as a night auditor at a, a hotel up there, uh, which was really interesting because I would snowboard by day and then I would work at night and sleep like in the evening. It was, it was really kind of unique experience, but it gave me a chance to one really connect with nature and, and and do something that I absolutely loved. Um, I had a chance to, to snowboard in Whistler in, in 2012. So this was more like 2016, I think 2017. So I had a huge craving at that point too, where I was like, I had the, I had the big, awesome, awesome, Snowboarding experience. I, I want to do that a lot and, and more often and and be around it for a while. So I, I kind of chased it. Um but I only I was only there for about one season, uh for about four or five months. And while I was working at night, of course I had uh responsibilities and stuff, but but part of my responsibility was just maintaining the desk. So after I kind of completed all the things I had to, I had just some flex time to to kind of just hang out and wait for people to come and chat with me if they needed to. But it was the middle of night, everybody was kind of sleeping for the most part. So it's right. pretty rare.
0: Yeah. And so just to clarify, when you say auditor, you're not somebody who's like just dealing with the books and finances, right? They're using the term auditor to mean the person man in the desk.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I think it was a little bit of a glorified title. Um, I always like I, to
0: clarify that when I hear a job title, that seems like if people are listening to this, they're going to be like, wait, he has no background in finance. How did he do that? But like, no, it is not the same at all.
1: I I did get a chance to like, I was responsible for looking at the books and like, I was the person who rolled over the day. Part of that process was kind of putting in the numbers and looking at how the numbers kind of came out for that day. So that was actually a really interesting experience too, and getting a bit of a feel for like, how does a business run in general and what are some of the moving pieces? Yeah. But if it didn't line up and the, and the bottom line wasn't correct, I I, I would try to look at it and, and try use some critical thinking, but I wasn't really responsible for fixing right. it. If it was like a disaster, I couldn't figure it out. It was okay. The The person in the morning is going to kind of handle that and take care of it. So
0: yeah. And it's clearly something that like, you don't need a, a four-year finance degree to do this job. It's like, they can train you to do it in a matter of clearly days because you did it for four months. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You said it was one season that you were there. So when you come back, you just go back to living with your parents or one of your parents and and figuring out like, okay, now I need another job or did you get some sort of clarity on what you wanted while you were out
1: there? I definitely got some clarity. I, I did a lot of reflection and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll kind of bring this in. So, so something I talk about with careers is something called like a, like a career compass. So what are the factors that you use um, to determine something is a fulfilling career? Like what are the elements of a fulfilling career? Um And I think I had some awareness in a couple of them, but I was trying to connect, uh, connect more of them together into one type of kind of trajectory. So I definitely had a a good feeling for kind of some of my skills. Like I really want to connect with people I was organized, really social, able to build relationships. Um, but also like a really reflective, critical thinker. I got some creativity, innovation in me and stuff too. And, And my value was like just supporting people's growth and people's change, and that's all great, but what topic do I want to work on? Like, what's the problem? What's the issue? What's the, what's the what's the content of how I'm applying those skills and providing that value? And I kind of started thinking, well, what do, what do I love? Like, what are the things I don't get bored of? What are the things I want to be around all the time? And and there was kind of this this stream of sport throughout my entirety of my life that was kind of going unacknowledged or wasn't really. It was never thought of as something that could be a career, and and thinking interestingly, interestingly enough, I actually studied sports psychology in my undergrad, and I took uh, a sports psychology course with uh, Dr. Richard Ennis, and loved it. Like everything just seemed really like, yep, that makes sense. Yep, yeah, it was. It almost seemed like I, I didn't learn a lot because I knew a lot of the things that were kind of being taught, and it was very introductory. So, um, not not to say that there's not lots to learn from it, but it was there. There is this experience of this is where I'm kind of supposed to be. And I had it, but I never really validated it. It was never something I thought could actually be a career. There's never something I thought I could actually work in. And it's because I haven't, like, I've never had really high level sport experience. So I think there was kind of this jump of, you have to be an actually good athlete to work in athletics, um, which, which is not necessarily true. Like right. the, the best players aren't always the best coaches.
0: Yeah. Like Wayne Gretzky was a terrible coach.
1: Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I kind of started to entertain it a little bit, and I started to think, well, yeah, psychology and sport goes hand in hand. And then I thought back a little bit more, and I, well, sport is how I kind of channeled my emotions. It's where I really figured it was like the arena that really helped me battle and work with myself, so that I could manage myself a little bit better and have a better outcome. So how can I contribute to this team? How can I? Uh, not freak out or not kind of end up in tears when something is is kind of frustrating or um, something kind of horrible, quote unquote, horrible happens. So I think it was kind of, I started to connect some of the dots where, where is this something that was unacknowledged and something I finally you know what, no, I'm going to kind of go for it. But there was definitely some skepticism of, okay, well, what do I do to get there? Okay. I have to study and take something. Is there a job on the other end of that? Right. And how do I know there's security in that job? How do I know I'm going down the right path? Okay. Um, so I was looking at a bunch of Canadian universities uh, when I was out west. And I- I'm not sure if this is true today, but all of the ones that I saw were all research-based. And once again, I mentioned I wasn't really interested in the research piece. I wanted to apply it. Right. I wanted to work with people. I wanted to use this knowledge to help them kind of grow, to improve. So once again, that connection piece. Um, and I had some really great life experience and, and understood that that's, for me, that was the impact that was really valuable is kind of on the ground floor, seeing people's like change and ability to, to do new things better. So after I actually kind of came home, I was having some conversations with my uncles and, and my family and stuff. And one of my uncles, uh, mentioned, well, have you thought about looking at programs in the States? And, and I definitely didn't. One, they in general, I knew they were much more expensive, so I was like, okay, well, I I already am kind of conscious and concerned about having to invest that much in my education, and now it's going to kind of double, if not triple. But but then I was like, you know what, let's, let's research and see what's kind of down there. And, and then I started finding blended programs that were counseling and sports psychology. So my kind of thought and reflection was, one, counseling is very relevant for being able to connect with somebody being able to work with them, be helping them kind of foster and develop certain skills, uh, especially kind of psych- psychologically. But but two, it's also some bread and butter. Like in after I graduate, I know there's counseling jobs out there. I know those are things I can kind of go for. So my thought was strategic in that my long-term game is going to be kind of the sports psychology, but I'm going to use this career counseling, something that's already strongly established in our society, to make sure I've got stability while I'm kind of pursuing that long-term a little bit more risk Cool.
0: Okay. So the United States, big country. So how do you sort of narrow down your search or do you just look at like, do you, do you first looking at the programs, which ones are the non-research based programs? And obviously you had mentioned that you knew they were more expensive. So was cost like a huge part of your decision-making process? <laughs> it was
1: part of it. Um, I think it was a question I put off after I decided if I even wanted to go to what schools. So I think first it was a little bit of shortlisting. Two, a little bit of can I even get in? And then three is if I accept, can I even afford it? And, and when I was looking, so this is 2015, 2014, 15, 16. The, I, I guess in sports psychology, there's kind of two different foundations, I, I would maybe say. Um, and there's probably more than that. It's a very, very much an uh, interdisciplinary uh, field. But there, there are lots of folks who come from an exercise science, a more physio- physiological kind of background, mm-hmm. and and that was really popular at the time. And that was kind of one of the one of the main educational routes to getting into sports psychology, which makes total sense, of course. Uh, but but there was, I think, a, a growing thought in the field that counseling is also a valuable and worthwhile route to applying sports psychology. So when I was looking, I only found maybe two or three programs that even had counseling as like a, a dual degree or I shouldn't say dual degree, but uh, a counseling program with maybe an offshoot of kind of sports psychology um, or or a relevance towards sports psychology. So it was it was kind of a little bit limited too. And, and being a little bit new to the States and a little bit hesitant in, in where I maybe want to go, I was very aware of the locations I was looking at too. So like Chicago was one of them, um, Denver, uh, California was kind of more West coast. Um, I wasn't really overly interested in kind of like New York and Boston. Cause I, I just thought it would be overwhelming. Like I'm, yeah, I've got <laughs> come from a kind of a, a rural background. My dad's very much a, a country, country kid and, and my mom kind of grew up in the suburbs, so I don't really have that high intense kind of city vibe or city experience. Um, but Chicago was still on my list, even though it's a, it's a pretty big, uh, city. So, so yeah, I, I applied to a couple of programs. Uh, I got into a, it was a master's at JFK university, which was in California. And, and I got into, uh, Adler university as well. And, and I think what my deciding factor was actually the visit that I kind of took to Chicago. California was pretty far away. Um, so, so I didn't take a trip there, but I did drive down to Chicago with my sister, to kind of check out the school. And there was like an orientation, like visit campus kind of day and stuff. And I was kind of just captured by Chicago. Like I loved that it was on the water. I loved that it was like a big city, like Toronto in the middle, but it was really sprawled out kind of on the outskirts and, and didn't feel as kind of overwhelming. I felt a little bit more kind of like KW, like there's suburbs and stuff here. Um, so the location was, was a big factor, but it was also a, a social justice school. And that was something that is is very foundational to who I am and, and how I was kind of raised too. My mom was a very non-judgmental person and and really saw people's soul before she kind of saw their behavior. And really, I think had a perspective of worth, of that every person does have worth. And and there's lots of things going on for people that you don't see. And lots right, of right. experiences that people had that you don't see. So I also had experience working with uh Community Justice Initiatives, um, which is uh, one of the founding companies, or at least Mark Yancey, who founded the company, started up uh, like the concept of restorative justice. Um, so oh, know, okay. I'm, not, I'm not
0: sure if you're familiar with oh, the Elmira story restorative at all. Justice. I don't yeah. know the Elmira story, but restorative justice is something that we practice when I worked in residence. When it came to students breaking rules in residence, instead of just punishing them, have them actually do something good for the community.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the the kind of story about the Elmira story is pretty much that there was a couple, uh, two, two young male youths who uh, kind of had a, a bit of a bender one night, got, had a little bit too much to drink, and uh, went, went through Elmira town and kind of just like slashed tires, turned over boats, broke windows, and just like a bunch of needless kind of vandalism. And when it got to the courts, instead of kind of putting them um, in a penitentiary or jail or something... Um, I think they were like on the on the verge of being minors and adults too, so it was kind of like a bit of a a question there. I think Mark Mark Yancey had a discussion with the judge for the case and said, you know what? Can we try something new? Can I? How would you feel about instead of sending them to jail or or something? How about we just take them back to Elmira and they fix all the things that they did? So if there's a broken window, they pay for it. If there was a boat turned over, they fix the scratches. So. I think it took him a couple of years to kind of correct all of those things, but, um, that's, that's kind of the birth story of restorative justice. Um, so, so that, so when it comes to social justice, that's kind of something that's near and dear to my heart too, is, um, really helping people be seen and and helping people just get along a little bit better.
0: Okay. And so this was, this is then Adler in Chicago that you're choosing. That's right. Yeah. Adler
1: university in Chicago is where I decided to study so there's a 2-year program masters in counseling with a specialization in sport and health psychology uh, that's that was that's that's what I graduated with the the program's evolved a little bit since I've left but uh yeah. yeah
0: so it's funny when uh whenever i'm talking to whenever i'm about to talk to someone on this podcast i will think if there's someone i know about what sort of moments in their life that I kind of have a memory of. And typically it's because of something like Facebook, where even if it's not the most popular platform in the world today, like people will post events from their life on Facebook. And I remember seeing like years ago that you were going to Chicago for university for a master's. And I was like, what the hell is he doing? I'm, I'm curious about that. So then when you ended up reaching out to me about the, the podcast, I was like, wait, how are you doing what you're doing now? I knew you went to Chicago for what I had thought was purely sports psychology. So I was definitely eager to hear the whole story. So tell me about your time at Adler and what that was like, because you had mentioned previously that you were, sports psychology was more the path you wanted to head, but Adler had this sort of counseling component and sports psychology was added on. And you thought that the counseling would be sort of the lead into sports psychology. Did you enjoy both components of the program equally, or did you really Like you got what you wanted out of sports psychology and counseling was just there to like get you the job in the future.
1: Yeah. Great question. There's too many things to say about my time at Adler university and, and they're almost all positive. Um, I had so much growth and development over those two years. Um, So, so the two kind of walk away pieces that I had after graduating was being eligible to apply for uh, like a psychotherapy Uh, credential here in Ontario or in a, in a province uh, or a counseling kind of credential um, depending on how that kind of plays in with the province's rules. Um, But as well in America too. So let's say I I do want to work in sports psychology, but I'm the counts the I'm doing the counseling for the team with a sports psychology lens. Well, maybe I wind, then I might need license to practice as a counselor. So, so I kind of had this counseling eligibility. I'd still have to apply for whatever the regulating body was in the area, but I, I was able to kind of apply to a wide range of those. And then I also graduated with the ability to apply for the association for applied sports psychology's certified mental performance consultant title credential certification. I guess I I didn't Mm. want to be redundant. So, so there's two kind of like big pieces I I thought I could get under my belt and, and would be a little bit flexible in North America too. And, and really speak for my kind of competence. So, so that was a really big piece of it. But thinking about my experiences specifically there. So I had such a great cohort. I had so many fantastic classmates. I learned so much from them. Uh, learned so much from my professors, developed a a pretty strong relationship with the director of the program, uh, Dr. Teresa Fletcher. She's, she's been incredible for my development as well, uh, in, in providing opportunities and feedback and, and, and all those many things. But, but I think in the classes, it was, it was a little bit surreal, almost like, is, is this really a thing that people do? Like, do they come into an office in the morning and just talk shop about sports? And and it just seemed like, it didn't seem like a profession, but we were talking about things that were like academic and were things that definitely like coaches would need to talk about, would want to talk about. And we talked about them in kind of unique ways that were kind of like cutting edge and, and also social justice oriented. So, so we had like courses that were specifically on how kind of athletes advocate for themselves and, and, and kind of provide some, some messages to the community and influence the community. So yeah, anyways, I uh, love the courses, so many fantastic courses. Um, and a majority of them were counseling based because, because I think there was more, there's some overlap that counseling courses uh, are part of the process for applying for sports psychology too. So I'd say that there's more counseling courses than um, sport courses. Um, but that was okay because it like I loved it and, and it was all very much relevant I, I think it was it was one of the, it was like two years of this is definitely where I'm supposed to be. there's no place I'm supposed to be aside from this um, So aside from courses in our first year, uh, everybody taking a master's program is required to uh, do a social justice practicum at Adler University where you get involved in the community and and kind of uh, help out their services or whatever it may be. And I had the chance to teach English as a second language to some Spanish-speaking adults, which was a fantastic experience. And then I also had the chance to work uh, at like an after-school program in one of the more kind of like equity-seeking areas in, in, in Chicago. And, and that was a fantastic experience too. So I was super lucky with kind of the placements and, and the experiences I got out of that too. Yeah, so that was first year. And then second year, uh, courses continued... I was also appointed as president of the Adler sport and health association. So we, I was kind of part of like a club, a bit of a, uh, representation for our, I guess, program in the school a little bit. Uh, and, and we were responsible for hosting certain events and stuff, uh, w- which was great. So we had a couple people in the field kind of come in for some interviews just to kind of chat with some of our students. Uh, we had a walk a mile in her shoes event, which raised awareness, um, about the, the dangers and damage of, uh sexual violence uh, against women. And then we also did just like kind of social events. So things just to kind of build community and build some team building stuff uh, with, with just our kind of community as well. So that was a great experience. And then I had two kind of placements. So I worked at Loyola as a career counselor and that's, and we can probably dig into that a little bit. And then I also worked as a mental performance consultant with two hockey teams. So one was a kind of 10, 11 year old team. And the other was a, uh, Junior varsity hockey team in high school, so it was we had, we had mainly mainly uh juniors and
0: sophomores, and were all those placements in Chicago? Yeah. Okay. Just because when you said Loyola, there's a bunch of schools just on the <laughs> west side of Toronto and like Oakville that are all called Loyola, so I was like, wait a minute, you were here? No. Okay. Still yeah. in Chicago for all of this. So yeah, it seems like the Loyola experience was something that you want to touch on. So tell me about that. Like, what was that experience like when you're first really getting to practice this thing that you're now, that you're now learning and what you've gone to school for really. And I'm also interested in hearing about that because it seems like that was sort of the additional side of the degree. It was the sports side of things you really went for, but the career side was what your practicum there was in. And you mentioned that. So tell me about that.
1: Yeah. Um, (laughs) <laughs> this this experience is, is one of my uh, one of the really good examples I use for, for a really important teaching message about just career in general. And it's I didn't expect or plan or have any real large intention to become a career counselor. What, what I was really focused on in my applications for my counseling practicum, because I, I knew I needed to find one was I, I was applying to wellness centers and really, anywhere in higher education. So, where can I be in higher education? Develop a bit of a, a reputation, um, kind of do some good work in that role. And then, when you're in large institutions like that, it tends to be a little bit easier to jump into different roles or explore mm-hmm. other things in that university. So, my thought was, well, this is a perfect marriage of my two goals: is, is I want to be connecting with people and helping them on, on those pieces, and and I can really work on that work on that craft doing that kind of job, but it also provides a little bit of opportunity to maybe explore kind of that evolution too. So I actually hoped to kind of get into a wellness center because I wanted to do, um, like psychotherapy is what we kind of call it in Ontario, but in, in kind of America, they call it counseling as well. And I think sometimes career counseling is seen kind of as like the, the ugly duckling of kind of counseling in general too. Cause I, I think a lot of people see it as transactional and, and sometimes it's done in a transactional sense. But when you talk about life meaning and life purpose and existential kind of meaning and, and those kind of pieces, like those are really foundational pieces. So, so there's a lot of kind of carryover and similarity to counseling too. So yeah, I ended up getting my practicum with Loyola and and I was actually, a, I won't say I was disappointed, but I wasn't necessarily like excited about it uh, kind of at, at first kind of glance. But as I, as I got into it, And as I started getting some training and looking more at the content um, and and I started kind of doing it a little bit more, I was like, I really, really like this. And I I maybe even have like, I think I have a bit of a knack for it, too, because a lot of the things, a lot of the strategies and perspectives and approach I took to my career are kind of backed by a lot of theoretical things. So it's kind of like this weird I've I've struggled and battled through a lot of these things already. Um, Now I can help other people with them and help other people kind of achieve their dreams, achieve their goals. And, and really just find where they fit in society. Cause I know that's, that's an uncomfortable feeling to, to not really understand where you belong. And, and then when you do find it, as I was kind of experiencing, it's, it's incredibly liberating. So I wanted to help foster that for other people too. So I, I really, I had a great supervisor too. Um, John Rosenfeld from uh, Loyola there. He's, he's still there. Um, he was a great supervisor. I had some really great discussions with them, had some incredible fellow interns that were, um, also kind of going through the same, uh, gauntlet that I was going through in, uh, in practicums and stuff. So really, really great relationships there to some really, some of the most thoughtful people I've ever met. Um, so yeah, I, I think I just fell in love in the process of meeting with people, chatting with them, talking with them and, and being productive and helping them kind of
0: move forward. So all of a sudden you've got. The sports thing that you really were interested in and then you found this other thing that you thought you were going to end up probably working in any way to transition into sports psychology but all of a sudden you actually love it and so it's a pretty good spot to be in right so Mm -hmm. theoretically now when you graduate you've got multiple paths you can head down because you can either look directly into the sports psychology stuff, or you can just decide career counseling is great. And I love that. So I'm just going to do that instead. So how do you decide what to do when you're graduating? I mean, on the one hand, did you know for sure, like you were definitely coming back to Canada, the education in the States was just that education. Then you come home and, you know, find a job in Canada, but were you also looking for work towards the end of the degree? Or did you decide, like, when I get back, then I'll figure out where I'm going to go. That's a great question.
1: Um, so a little bit of context. In order, so I was thinking about working in the States as well, and it was something that was I was considering. But how it kind of works in transitioning from a student visa to a work visa is there's like a little kind of three, four month gap where you have an opportunity to get a job. And if you get a full time job and it's eligible, then that helps kind of move you forward towards a work visa. Um, so that's that's kind of part of the how that systemic transition happens, uh, at least in America there. Um, so I had a limited time to figure out, well, if I do want to work in the States, I got to figure it out real quick. And and something I was navigating too was I used Canadian money to pay for American school, and the dollar exchange is brutal. I, mm-hmm. I think that's, it's still not great, but it was horrible at that time too. Um, so I was paying like 25 cents, 30 cents on every dollar. So my thought was, well, if I work in the States, I'm also paying it off 30 cents to the dollar too. So it's kind of favorable in that I'm working the opposite way. Um, I think there's a couple other life factors. I think I had a partner at the time that was in Canada. Um, I I think I I had long-term goals to come back to Canada. Um, And and I think something, looking at my bigger picture, kind of now that I'm starting to see my goals a little bit more clearly, a role I'd like to take, kind of in the long term, is is fostering and mentoring the sports psychology consultants. So really helping it become a more commonplace thing here in Canada, and it's definitely growing uh, without a doubt. Um, and I think people are starting to understand it a little bit more, and um, it's it's common topic. But it's what does it look like in real life is I think still a question for a lot of people, which is a fair question. So,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: Okay. Does that answer your question?
0: So well, there, so there's like. A- competing factors here it's not as simple as just like yeah i'll come home and that'll be the end of it like it's uh, you know you've got a you have a bunch of different things that are influencing whatever decision you make and so ultimately what decision did you end up making or was the decision made for you by the fact that like you only and i don't mean only got offered a specific job but i mean like like you said if you didn't get a job within those four months in the states well that really eliminates the states as a possibility right so yeah was the decision sort of made because that wasn't going to be an option or was the partner in Canada really stopping you from like, yes, the money side, it was a factor in the U S but the partner being in Canada meant that like that outweighed the, the money side of things.
1: That was maybe part of it. I, I definitely, it was a little bit of a new relationship. So it was very much still focused on like uh, who I am and, and what I thought was kind of best for, for me and my future too, as that, Relationship was kind of take, forming, at least at that point. I I wanted to be kind of close to family, but I also really started to value and appreciate having kind of my own space and my own kind of city and community. Um, yeah. I think I really appreciated the challenge of, of starting over and, and really kind of, yeah, like testing myself. Like, am I able to establish myself in a similar role and in a similar like, will people see me in a similar way in this new context, in this new environment, and what values do they see in me? In some of those pieces, so I think I really valued that experience, and I, I loved living on the water, really close to the water too. So that was something I was also kind of interested in, as, as places that were close to water, close to mountains, close to nature. And I had lots of definitely family pressure to to kind of come home. Um, I think I think my mom definitely wants me to to live closer to home. Uh, I'm sure she'd like to see me more often than she's able to now. Um, And, 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 and there's, I I definitely agree with that. I definitely really value and love my time with my family too. But I think I've, I've got this drive and this kind of purpose that is, is also very important to me too.
0: Yeah. Okay. So obviously you end up not back in Kitchener, Ontario. So where do you end up? What's the job? Yeah. So the other piece is uh, what kind of jobs am I applying for? How am I looking for jobs?
1: So, um, I was really, I just started with career counseling jobs. Um, so I kind of just, just looked and this is, <laughs> I almost don't want to say it cause it's so rare and, and really, really uncommon, but I only actually applied for three jobs after I graduated. Um, and it was my first like three applications I sent out. I got like a no, a no, and, and I got an interview with Queens and, and I'd like to think I kind of knocked it out of the park. And, um, I think I've been kind of fulfilling some of those expectations that they had when they hired me as well. So I was fortunate in that I had a pretty smooth transition. I I moved to KW just mainly as I was applying for jobs. Um, I needed somewhere to stay. That wasn't going to cost me continued kind of dollars. So I was, I moved in with my parents for a couple months there and, and yeah, I started looking for career counseling jobs in Ontario. I, I, I wasn't overly picky. I think I applied to, to Laurier, Waterloo and Queens because Kingston was an, another place that uh, was kind of up for discussion and, and of interest as well. So. Yeah. Fort, I've never been to Kingston, never visited or anything. So the first time I was there was for my interview. And yeah, once again, a quick kind of, there's lots of good signs about working here, lots of good signs about being on this team and had, had some really good discussions in the, in the interview as well.
0: Okay. So tell me about what it's like to be a career counselor at a university, because I work at a university and I work with students all the time. And what I enjoy is a lot of the same things I think you enjoy about, about the job, like working directly with students and just talking to them and talking to them through their problems and helping them seeing the development from like they're over here and they need to get somewhere else and kind of seeing them chart that path from here to the destination. It's what I love about the job. And so what's that been like for you to be a counselor at a university? And how long have you been there for now?
1: Yeah, I've been, I've been there for coming up on three years here three years in September. Yeah. I'm, I'm right there with you on that, John. Like it's, that's why I do what I do for sure is to help alleviate students stress about their future and and not in a sense that I'm going to, that they're going to get more clarity, but even just a little bit more comfort with the discomfort and and a little, a couple more strategies about how to engage with some of these things and then kind of move forward and I think something that's really special for me in this role is I didn't have for, for what I've gotten into, I've never had a, uh, an example in my life. I've never had a male who was in, into psychology. So for one, usually, usually that's kind of, uh, so I've been surrounded by kind of females predominantly throughout my career, because it tends to be a little bit more of a female populated profession. So I think it's nice to be able to provide that kind of example for people or, give them that little piece of information or that little suggestion or that little piece of context that really helps them believe in something or believe in an option. Like for me too, with sports psychology, it was something I discounted and didn't never even consider, but it was ultimately the best thing for me. So like working with those pieces is I, I understand how impactful they can be on somebody's life. So, so those are the pieces I really love. So in my role, there's a couple of ways that I kind of support that and, and contribute to that. Um I work one-on-one with students. Uh, so those are half hour appointments, which it's difficult to accomplish uh, some things in half an hour, but there's yeah. other things that you can accomplish in kind of 15, 20 minutes. So um, but, but but they can book multiple appointments. So it's not like we can't continue conversations and stuff too. So so that's that's been great. And and that's yeah, that comes what we talk about in there could be a bunch of things from helping students apply for like further education, even thinking about why would I apply for further education? What jobs do I want to apply for? It's like a lot of the things you kind of talk about on here are are some of the content we kind of dig into. And then I also do lots of workshops. So we have our in-house workshops, which we kind of facilitate and host and organize and everything, but we're doing an increasing amount of outreach. So so I think a, a bit of an initiative and I think a direction that universities are taking is embedding career throughout the academic experience so that people are connecting why is this course related to the real world and how does that connect with the real world? So I think I think that's a really important piece and, and, and even supporting students and reflecting through that because you need a bit of a reflection process to kind of do that. And then there's even just navigating all the other pieces of career development. So you know, great, you're an expert on this topic okay, now you have to create a resume and send it in. Well, that's a whole new skill set. Yeah. So those are important skill sets to be developing before that kind of fourth year comes. And now it's like, well, I feel like kind of Bambi trying to walk here because I've never done this before. So they're a little bit prepared with some of the other pieces that are going to help them navigate uh, some of those career pieces.
0: Yeah. Okay. So where does the sports psychology side of your kind of interest lie right now? Because you've got this job that you obviously like, but you know, you're not old. So you've got a long <laughs> career ahead of you. And do you think yeah. do you think you are going to stick with the career side of things for quite some time or you know, you mentioned that you wanted to sort of foster this idea of sports psychology as being more prevalent in Canada. And do you think you're going to end up looking into that sooner rather than later or for the moment are you kind of back to that spot where you were? back when you were out in Whistler, where you're just enjoying your life. You've put in the work and you're at a good spot now. And are you just trying to enjoy the fruits of your labor like while you can? Because, I mean, it's also been an incredibly difficult year for anyone to enjoy anything. So um, maybe that's a bad question to ask at this point in time. But where are you at right now, like mentally, in terms of where your career is at and where you want it to be? Oh, my gosh.
1: Um, my fir- the first word that comes to mind is patience. Um, cause I have a lot of things I'd like to do and interested in doing, um, what I'm doing right now actually has a lot of overlap in sports. psych. so, so I think I'm, I'm still, I still feel like I'm moving in the right direction. And, and once again, I'm honing my craft. So there's kind of this fundamental craft that I'm kind of working on. Um, so, so now, now it's kind of transitioning into a little bit more, um, like developing tools, developing programs, developing resources, that also facilitate and help the process of connecting with someone. So something so, so there's kind of the the meeting one-on-one with students, there's the workshop piece, but we also have this other piece of creating tools and, and and other kind of resources that help students with the with the whole process of career development. So something I've had a chance to kind of contribute to and, and play a role in is the development of Queen's skills cards. So these are uh, now we got 44 transferable skills in there. And it's got a definition, it breaks it down into components, and it even gives an example. So like problem solving, uh, communication, advocating, um, inclusivity, like there's a, a wide variety of things based on kind of the Queen's learning outcomes. So that like identifying strengths and reflecting on those kind of pieces that are a little bit more abstract is definitely something that you would have to do as a sports psychology consultant. So thinking about how are you engaging with people and how are you creating something that instills that process of reflection and helps them get to those pieces that you're kind of wanting them to. So I'm starting to get a little bit more familiar with some of the applied pieces of, of how do I achieve kind of goals with, with a program or with a tool. So, so that's been a really big piece, but some of the content I work on too is very much related to performance, like thinking about going into an interview that's performance anxiety, right? So how do you process that? How do you, how do you make the most of that interview? Well, it's partly how you prepare, So we kind of talk about strategies about how to prepare and especially like unexpected questions. Like how do I plan for questions that I can't expect? And it's, well, you got to kind of be familiar with a couple of things. So we kind of walk through the process with that. And um, even like, I'm really excited in the moment and I can't think anymore. Well, that's something that happens to your brain when your arousal is too high is you can't hold as many items in your brain and kind of put them together and and work with them. Your working memory kind of decreases. So, So there's strategies you can engage with that. So I'm, and bringing some of those pieces, I think, to, to the team and, and how we're using some of that kind of sport psychology science, uh, performance science um, to help people with some of those pieces.
0: So you actually get to do some of what you wanted to do in the role that you maybe didn't think you were going to get to do it in. So you're actually going to use both of these skill sets, which are related anyway, that's why they were part of the same degree, but mm-hmm. you get to use them all at the same time instead of feeling like you need to just do this for a while until you can transition into something else.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm also trying to build uh, relationships with athletes and stuff on campus. And I am like the liaison with the athletic department specifically right. and stuff. So, so I am getting some exposure to some of those pieces that I'm uh, interested in the population. I'm of course, I'm interested in the whole population, but also like that's that's kind of my specific niche. I'm hoping to kind of move towards. So, yeah, um, there's there's some opportunity there. But outside of that, like, it, I, I'm also hoping to kind of like start up a business. I do have a couple kind of clients on the side that I do work with. I work with a couple of DJs in the music industry, a couple of golfers, worked with a couple of baseball players, hockey players. So like I I do things outside of it as well. So so I think that's kind of my my big picture thinking for kind of my next move is. Career counselor by day, mental performance consultant by night, kind of thing, and, and building up some of that mental performance side. And and there's a lot of career that plays in sports psychology too, right? Like there's the whole athletic identity, and and when college students graduate, well, what happens to that athletic identity? It kind of feels like it disappears a little bit. Um, and even thinking about like athletes transitioning or like let's say they kind of get pulled up or they got kind of brought up to the next league well they might be moving from venezuela to i don't know arizona or something and well how do i help them transition that's that's a huge career transition too right so there's mm-hmm. lots of pieces about that that are are definitely relevant so there's there's a fair amount of overlap when you kind of dig into it and really look at the finer pieces that i'm, I'm kind of uh accomplishing right now and i kind of see them potentially playing a role in the future but uh No, I'd like like to get my company started. I'd like to kind of succeed myself and and, and do a good job myself. But a couple other big hairy goals of some of the kind of more audacious goals that that I have in mind, like uh, I mentioned in my philosophy experience or my philosophy degree, I kind of started working on a couple like thoughts or concepts. Um, And I think sports psychology and learning a bunch about counseling theories has helped me kind of bring a bunch of those pieces together too. So, so it's still taking shape, but I, I would like to continue developing a little bit of a original theory about how to approach mental performance consulting. Um, but I'd like it to be informed by like application. So of course I'm going to work by science and everything right now, but I'd like that experience of applying the science and working with the science to, to inform and educate my hunches and and my kind of hypothesis. So eventually I'd like to kind of do a PhD and, and kind of bring that to life a little bit too. And, and then I think after that kind of comes some of the mentorship. So having building a business that one is functioning and other client or other consultants and stuff are working at, but now we're kind of building a bit of a, a stream and a process, a really strong experience for mentoring and helping other people get into the field as well.
0: Fantastic. So you're, you're in a good spot. You've got you got your job at Queens, you've got this business on the side that you want to build up and start, as you said, doing it by night. Now, if there's anybody listening who happens to be an athlete who feels like someone like you could help them out, you don't have a website yet, I don't think, but is there, should I give them your LinkedIn contact info or something like that?
1: Yeah, they can contact me on LinkedIn. I find me at Joshua Zettel on LinkedIn. Um, Feel free to email me too. Um, I'll kind of give up
0: my business email. Uh, It's it's joshzettelcmpc at gmail.com. Perfect. And I'll put the links to that in the show notes. So if you want to find Josh's email, just go to careercrosserspodcast.com and look for his episode page. And you can get in touch with Josh if you need some assistance in areas that he provides it. So Josh, this has been a, a wonderful journey from, you know what I love about your story is that you like early on took a large chunk of time kind of off to figure out what you really wanted to do after doing... A degree. And that is like a very different mindset than I've heard with some other people where you you just decided like early on, enjoy life and figure out what I want to do instead of kind of pushing through something you didn't enjoy and then feeling more, more burnt out even later. And I really like hearing different perspectives and that's certainly a different one than I've heard before. So thanks so much for coming on today and sharing your story with us.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
0: All right, that is Josh's career path so far. And after hearing it, what I want to talk about today is transitioning from being lost to being very intentional about working towards your future career. Now, that sounds like a difficult thing to do, and it is, but I think Josh has provided us with a template to follow, so let me try and walk you through it. Think about that first half of the interview before Josh decided to go to Adler University in Chicago. How many times did he say something along the lines of, I didn't know what I wanted to do, or I was just trying to figure things out? Like so many other people in their early 20s, Josh got a degree, got a job, burned out, and then was just lost. He mentioned that when he decided to leave House of Friendship, he spent some time working construction and other jobs, but he just couldn't find the clarity he was looking for. He was still lost. So what did he do? He took time off, headed to Whistler to snowboard, and watched the front desk of a hotel. Now, in a vacuum, this sounds like the epitome of a lost soul, shirking all responsibilities to go and enjoy life. It's the type of thing so many of us dream of doing. However, we all have responsibilities, and we can't all do that at certain points of our life. But Josh was kind of at the perfect place where he could do that. It seems like he had a family he could fall back on if he needed to come back home and stay with them. And more importantly, life doesn't exist in a vacuum, and Josh was being the opposite of irresponsible. Josh had a plan. His plan was to enjoy life, but also use that time to recharge and figure out what his next steps should be. And as we all heard, the outcome was that he figured it out. His plan worked. It was when he was in Whistler that he made the decision to look further into sports psychology as a career path, which is something that he had indicated he was interested in during his undergrad, he just never thought he could make a career out of it. Yet, here we are, years later, and he's reflecting what he wants to do as a career, and a spark reignites. He didn't sit back and just wait for something to happen, he went after what he wanted. He looked around... Realized there were no grad programs in Canada that provided what he wanted, so he looked at the United States. In a beautiful twist of fate, Josh finds a couple programs that offer a master's of counseling with a specialization in sports psych, and this is where Josh's practicality really shows through. He had mentioned his concerns about finding a career on the other side of an expensive degree, so he quickly identified the value of a degree that would give him more than just what he was looking for. He realized that he could probably break into the workforce with a degree in counseling and then pivot into sports psych once he had honed his craft a little more. And he particularly identified larger institutions like universities as a place where he'd probably be able to do that. So he had thought all this through before he committed to going to this program. As you heard near the end, Josh's plan has really come to fruition. He enjoys career counseling, and he gets to work with athletes, which touches on a lot of the sports psych that he's interested in. Plus, he now gets to work on his side business, which could become a full-fledged career one day. So how is this a template for the rest of us? What Josh has shown us is that being lost is okay. It's okay to not know what you want to do, even after you've gone and gotten a degree, even after you've started a career in a field somewhat related to what you thought you wanted to do, you might end up getting burnt out because that job wasn't a perfect fit for you. And if you have a safety net in place, don't just jump into something else because you need to get a job. Sometimes you've just got to be lost for a while, recharge, enjoy your life a little bit. The important thing is that you recognize that you can't do that forever. And at some point, you've really got to start thinking about where you can go next. If you can't see a path that leads to the future, start looking at some of the paths maybe you turned away from in the past. Think about your past interests and ideas you abandoned because they didn't seem viable at the time. Take a second look, because in the modern world, things are changing fast, and what wasn't possible just a few short years ago might make sense now. Most importantly, though, once you find something you want, don't sit back and wait. The world isn't just going to offer it up on a silver platter, and you just get everything you want. It doesn't work that way. Get after it. Put in the research, figure out what is going to lead you to the success you're looking for, and then do it. Josh did, and he seems pretty happy about where he ended up. So that's what I think we can learn from Josh today. That's all for this week's episode of Career Crossroads, and I hope you've enjoyed it. If you know someone who would be interested in Josh's career path, please share this episode with them. And if you want to hear more interviews like this, go to dot com or follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcast player out there. If you like what you hear, please leave the show a five-star review, and come back next week for a new episode.